and welcome back to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. This is going to be a bit of a mixture between the November 6th and 9th between the whistles. Uh, For one reason or another, we're finding it difficult to get either the game on our TV or be home around that time. So, um, you know, with a review coming up in a few games, this is going to be just a... um, I guess you could say compilation of the two, but... It's crazy how quickly the season's going. I know. uh, When it's loss after loss after loss, it seems to just fly by. No game really seems memorable. Um, But starting off, I mean, that Vegas game was pretty memorable. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about it was the Habs started so hot, and my faith in the team right now is so low that I said, just wait. Yeah. And that's not a good... You know, initial reaction to a two nothing well, lead in the first. Yeah, the end of the first period, I think the shots were twenty four to five for the oh. Habs or something like that. So by like all you know metrics, this was Habs dominating. Even visually, um, you know, a lot of it play in the neutral zone, but you know, we did have a strong forecheck. You know, a lot of our shots again were from you know not high danger chances, but at least we were shooting, unlike other games. Yeah, um, and just just to review the goals here, so Suzuki scores on the power play from from Hoffman, and for those who saw the goal, um, you know this was a power play that basically every shot they were closing in on the net, and then ended up with the entire team digging away. It looked just you know very aggressive, very sure of itself, and it was it was surprising to see honestly that mm-hmm. we weren't just trying to cycle the puck around, lose the puck, and get dumped down the zone. This was this just looked very different, and then. The Toffoli goal was a breakaway, assists from Suzuki and Gallagher, but, you know, uh, Toffoli doing what he does best and scoring goals in, you know, highlight fashion, but... It also felt good because the first period we saw goals from guys we want to see goals from. Toffoli and Suzuki. Well, that's it. You know, it looked good. Um, You know, Allen wasn't really challenged in that first period, Um, but going into the second, I think, you know, we definitely let our guard down, Um, and by us, I mean the team because I didn't have my guard down I knew this team was very capable of you know throwing this lead out the window and collapsing defensively and that's exactly what happened there's just a complete defensive breakdown uh basically our offense came to a screeching halt you know so like in the first period there's a lot of neutral zone play um you know the Vegas Golden Knights defense kept our shots to low danger chances which is what they're supposed to do but this time this uh period their you know their offense really turned on the afterburners and you know got out of the neutral zone and really exposed our defense for what it was and it was patchy and just not very consistent and um you know total total collapse in the second period and like you know i was telling jesse the a lot of the problems we're having with second period play are from last year where if you guys remember last season uh regular season at least you know, we'd have these stellar first periods where we'd be literally shot out of a cannon. We'd have the most <coughs> insane forecheck. Um, but then, you know, in the second period, we'd, we'd just, like, fade away, and that other team would kind of come back a little bit. Like, think of those Toronto games where we'd be up, like, 3 nothing. And how many times last year did Toronto tie it with, like, six minutes left? Yeah, you know, we just win the down multiple but the goals. yeah, and the, 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 the difference this year is though is that we don't have that goal differential. Like in the first period last year, when we'd be shot at a cannon and we had everyone scoring, you know, we'd get three on the board, four on the board, and then kind of fade out. But this year, we can barely get one or two. And I I understand that, and for the most part, that's correct this year. But this game specifically, what bothered me is that we allowed sixteen shots all game, mm-hmm. and. You can't you can't let in that many. Well, I this know, is look, the thing. It's two empty net goals. That's fine, 
But you can't let in three goals right away like that. But this Jake is Allen. this is the thing. It's like yeah, you know, Jake Allen is not a starter. He's a tandem goalie at best. Okay. But the thing is though, is every so often you're gonna expect a cheesy night from Jake Allen. Okay. Like you're gonna have nights where he's just gonna be porous. He's not a starting goaltender. The only reason why this game really stood out was because we haven't won yet. <laughs> so, like, there's no winning, right? So, like, we have three wins as a team. Um, and the reason why this is sticking out is because this was a game that we clearly should have won. But it happened to be a bad goaltending night and a bad defense night. And now that happens every once in a while. Jake Allen, by most metrics, is playing fine this season, especially for the role that he's had to undertake with Carey Price's situation and the uh, backup goaltender that they got for him this year, who was just absolutely terrible um, in Samuel Motembo. But, you know, it's it's unfortunate because he will he will shoulder most of the blame on this game when he really shouldn't because he's bailed the team out of so many other situations. That... And that's what I'm saying. As a, season, as a whole in the season, it makes sense. But what, like you're saying, it was a bad defensive game, and I there was definitely breakdowns, but would you say that 16 shots against all game is a bad defensive game? Well, on the shots that we allowed, so, like, the, the, the if you remember, like, um, at least 10 or 11 of those were high-danger slot chances, mm-hmm. and, like, against a team where you have, you know, Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, Stone, Pacioretty, I know they have a lot of injuries, you know, down the middle... But still, I mean, like you really cannot give these this team this much uh, this much slack. And you know, it, you know, you look at the shot count, and you're like, you know what? It wasn't a bad defensive game. But at the same time, they had three or four shots in the first period, um, so we really locked them down there. So there was no real way for them to catch up offensively. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they, unless the, they the had... other big thing for me is that we are just padding absolutely everyone's stats. I believe Vegas is bottom three in the league as of today in terms of power play, and they went two for two against us. Yeah. So that's the other thing, too, is that we just, for some reason, we let everything happen to us all at once. Again, I, I think that, like you said, Jake Allen is playing the role he's supposed to play. I believe he's just over a 900 on the season. Mm-hmm. He's under three goals against average. It's where I expect him. It's just, uh, yes. Well, yeah, he's a 901 of a 293. That's yeah, basically go. where I, I need him to be. Well, that's and it. That's and where I, I need I him to be. I just think that on a game like this... Um, but that's where well, I need him blame... to be as a tandem. Like, well, right it. now, he's I mean, a starting goaltender. Well, that's it. And nobody expects him to be a starter. But I'm saying the big thing for me here is that um, we... I mean, obviously, the problem isn't with Jake Allen, but it just it becomes more of a problem when you have a let's say a lower shot count because oh, all definitely. of a sudden then you're like okay well now not only was it you know Jake Allen didn't have to stand on his head but it's like we didn't do that right as well no exactly and I'm, that's what I'm saying is like this game clearly the issue was goaltending and that's why we lost the game but you know we wouldn't say that our offense was was firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. here I mean like we, we scored two goals For 20 minutes it was and we had 36 shots or 38 shots or something like that but I'm just saying like it's hard to place blame on a goaltender when, like, you know, this is the one game the offense and defense have shown up. Yeah. And, um, you know, except for that second period where there was just a catastrophic defensive breakdown. I think they had, like, three breakaways. Um, yeah, it, and, it just... and again, it's it's also, like, the, the part that I'm saying isn't on Jake Allen is the fact that, yeah, you know what? We let a team that I'm, I'm going to check, I believe they're at around 10% power play success have 100% yeah. power play success. So, 
to me, it's just there's there's just nothing working. Also, right now. you know those really really low danger chances. One, they rarely work. Okay, yeah. they really don't work against goaltenders the size of Robin Leonard. Okay, like he can cut off angles on the net, like basically no one else in the league, except like Devin Dubnik or something like that. Yeah. Okay, like... so like you know having Gallagher shoot from the you know outermost side of the of the top of the circle that's not going to do anything i mean unless there's someone parked in front of the net to grab a rebound but robin leonard's a black hole yeah vegas is bottom five in the league in power play at 11.5 percent that's even worse than we're doing yeah i'm actually more worried about our penalty kill than our power play right now well that's what i was going to mention next so our penalty kill goes 0 for 2 and our power play goes 1 for 4 but our penalty kill right now is at 71.9 percent that's fourth worst in the league yeah. So, oh, excuse me. No, I was reading that wrong. 68.6% hmm. for fourth worst in the league. So, we, no, a... we have a problem with goal scoring. We have a problem with depth. We have a problem with defense. We have a problem with goaltending. We have a problem with injuries. We have a problem with power play. We have a problem with the penalty kills. Yeah, so problem what, with what face-offs. What do we not have a problem with? You know, with? at this point in the season, Nick Suzuki's at a 43% face-off percentage. Granted, he, at around this time last season, he was at a 38 or 39. Mm-hmm. So like, there is slight improvement there. I am happy with Christian Dvorak, 53%. Yeah, not doing bad. What he but came to do. you know, again, he has five points in 14 games. That, that's what I was gonna say. Is not so much the reason, point total that bugs me; it's the goal total. He's one goal. Well, for for me, it just it kind of comes down to like the same thing we did with signing Savard and Weidman and a few, a few other defensemen in trying to replace Weber by parts. It feels like all of a sudden our center core now everyone does one thing again where Suzuki gets points, Dvorak wins the faceoffs, Evans does the shorthanded stuff. Yeah. Like and he brings you, the grit. You, you need like you need complete players. Yeah. There's no other way to put this. Before we go into the future, let's wrap up the last game because I just want to get that one over with. Honestly. Yeah, it was just depressing to watch, and honestly, the two empty net goals were just—it was just the icing on the cake. It's like you know when you get scored on an empty netter. Normally, you just, you know, you cut your losses and you play, but clearly the desperation to win is so high that you're down, I believe at the, at the time it's 4-2 to two and we're pulling the goalie again. Yeah. And, like... Let's say then, what do you, like... No, it's not, it's, it's not so much that I care whether or not we... But, like, no, but we you should, though. Like, I, I agree. One, but I'm saying I... was just I, trying to play devil's advocate. No, like, I, I get that, but I'm saying, like, I really do think that, like, at that point, just... just play the rest of the... Like, don't put him back at all. Yeah. They put him back in then with two minutes. It's yeah, like, I why, mean, why are you cutting why are you cutting it i believe they scored i'm gonna get the exact time but you get scored twice on the uh, the empty netter my point was that like if you're you're in for a penny you're in for a pound at that point mm. you know it's uh they scored empty net with like 45 seconds left or 30 seconds left and then they're like oh we'll put the goalie in it's like yeah. really i think basically there's a certain point which like i agree with you they should have just pulled it again because but there's a certain out. point that you know if you're down four two five two you have to look at the effect on confidence it has on the team going forward rather than the actual game, and clearly it propagated forward into the overtime loss with L.A. So let's get into the November 9th game against the L.A. Kings. The return of Dano again. Um, yeah, weird. He got an ovation and booed. It was yeah. very, very weird. I don't, yeah, I, you know, I... There's certain things that, you know, I, I don't really understand with the, with the Montreal fan base. I think there's... You know, a kind of a pride with the team in the city, which is a fantastic thing to have in a sports team. But we have this thing, particularly in Montreal, where, like, if you're just 
born in the city, you think you have a elevated opinion of hockey, yeah. which isn't, you know, I see that on, you know, things like CJD with like, you know, certain commentators who like clearly don't watch hockey, but they just make these, you know, bold, bold claims because they're from Montreal and therefore they know the Montreal Canadiens. But, you know, there's, you know, no real animosity between Montreal Canadiens and Philip Deno. I mean, like, I no. this is nothing like the Asperi Kotkin Yemi situation. Um, you know, Philip Deno had certain requirements for a team, whether you think it's hypocritical or not with what's going on in LA. I mean, that's that's kind of your own opinion, but. You know, I think Philip Danneau has been waiting in line with the Montreal Canadiens for, you know, decent, you know, a, a very good amount of time now. And I, I think, you know, with Suzuki, and this is the p- part where I can't really blame the Habs organization, Nick Suzuki's just a far better player. Yeah. Um, he just saw no way that he would be the guy on his team. Now, like, you look at L.A. and you're like, well, what the hell are you doing in L.A.? Um, but, you know, he probably did the calculus there of, like, you know, what would, would I rather live in a, you know, hot, sunny place with... You know, I guess the same amount of taxes, if not more. Yeah, but, um, and I think in the, cost terms of, of the hockey move, LA for the past, I think three to five years has had what is considered the most promising future in the NHL. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's just nice for him to, you know, take a, you know, take a breather a bit. I mean, like he's been under the limelight for quite a while now, and I, you know, I, I I'm not really upset with Philip Deno's decision. Now, you know, the innovation, I agree with booing. You know, whatever. I guess that's just to get into his head, but. Um, I think a lot of people thought that he had done something like Jesperi Kotkaniemi did. Again, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, people say it was a business move. I, my opinion, way more than that. Jesperi spiteful. Philip Deneau could not get a deal done here. Yeah. Whether or not people agree with the answer, uh, not the answer, with the reasoning for why, is that, that's what makes you know the discussion interesting. Obviously, with Philip Deneau, like you touched on, his kind of criteria for why he left Montreal kind of had the similar situation in LA. However, like he also was probably being offered, you know, I mean, the money he was offering was slightly more mm-hmm. than we were offering. And there was just little things. And you know what? There's probably talks where he made that very clear of, I don't want to be playing, you know, second fiddle to a bunch of 20 year olds. They go, that's why we're signing you because we want you to be here now. So when they're ready you're on the way out. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Habs organization generally has had a very bad and rough kind of time with transparency, and I think a lot of this could have been avoided if, you know, Mark Bergemay was a little bit more transparent with Philip Deno and his agent about the Jesperi Kotkaniemi situation. I think Philip Deno, um, you know, even through interviews, you know, with, you know, um, journalists in L.A. and, you know, kind of just broadly across the NHL has stated that he was not playing second fiddle, he's playing third fiddle to Kotkaniemi and Suzuki. But if he was aware of the Kotkaniemi situation, Deno would be our solid two guy. Yeah. You know, and like, it, it's rough to see a guy walk like that based on lack of transparency with management, especially for a guy who was basically, you know, gearing up to be our captain. Well, that that's what I wanted to also touch on just before we... We lack leadership now. Well, of course we do, yeah. But I think the big thing too was that I don't know why people aren't more upset with Mark Bergevin. Yeah, this is his Deno job would have been the to get perfect it done. Captain. Perfect well, yeah, captain, I mean, French Canadian. Yeah, which yeah. like whether or not you know, because I know you and I fall more on the same side of this of like who cares. Yeah, but, but they care. at the same it's time, annoying, like but... if they care, they care. And so you know, he was being geared up to be that kind of reliable two-way centerman, French Canadian guy who can get the job done and bit by bit be worked down the line of the of players as you know he got older. But again, I don't know why none of the blame goes on Mark Bergevin because yeah. he, he's done a lot of things 
that, you know, I mean, especially when it comes to re-signing guys who have been lifetime, lifetime Habs, that, you know, I, I look at the Markov situation, yeah. I look at uh, the, I mean, he's not a lifetime Hab, but it, there's been a lot of specifically veterans who come in and just, you know, they just can't get a deal done. Radulov is another one who comes to mind. Yeah, it and seems if you if you butt heads with management here, you have you have a very tough time, and it's it's not a, it's not analogous to like Boston, where you know Boston sets you know lays the law, um, and people kind of follow suit. I think this one there's a little bit more animosity sometimes with Mark Bergevin's personality. You know, I personally like Mark Bergevin, but I do agree that you know he can be a little bit uh, softer around the edges now, like. In terms of Philip Deno being a reliable two-way center, um, you know, looking back on on last year's Cup run, as weird as that is to say, with how we've been playing, you know, I don't think we would have even made it through Toronto without Philip Deno. Of course not. Replace him, replacing him with Dvorak. I don't think we would have made it. Yeah, because faceoffs are one thing, but defensive play on the ice is something. Else. I, you know, a lot of people were saying that, like, let's see if we notice defensively Philip Deno missing from the team and holy shit okay look I I knew we were gonna miss it miss him defensively I didn't think the degree the magnitude would be this high like I didn't think we would absolutely see catastrophic defensive play with just replacing one player I know Weber's out but you know Weber's had a you know a bit of an up and down time defensively the last two years with his ankle and like you know specifically getting absolutely torched on his on his on his board side um, and Philip Deno's really picked up the slack, especially on the penalty kill. And, like, look at our penalty kill right now. Like, yeah. it's so bad. And, like, you know, even as the percentage gets better, like, the goals that we're allowing in are just like, what the hell is that? Like, Well, that's it. And, like, and you know, we're going to touch on something here in this November 9th game against L.A. We're saying that, I mean, I'll, I'll start with the Evans goal because it was actually worth mentioning. That, that was a very nice very goal. Nice. Um, he just constantly reminds us that he's better than people out, like, treat him offensively you know he's not a guy who's going to do that every night but he has the actual talent to do so yeah. which is what pulls him up to a middle six in my head you're on a bottom yeah six. he reminds me a lot of like a slightly better arturi lekanen like he has that obviously a off, perfect third liner yeah he has like that obviously fantastic defensive game and he's got a lot of that burst speed that lekanen brings but lekanen every once in a while too like pulls a shot or a move that yeah. you're like, God damn it, do that every night. Exactly. And Evans kind of does that too. Like, we won't see that from Evans for probably for another two months, three months, yeah, if that. But, uh, you know, it's cool to see that, you know, you get reminded that he can. Yeah, like he's got his little bag of tricks there, basically. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, like in another two-point night. But I, I wanted to go back to the first goal because, once again, looking who scored in this game, we have Sherrod and Evans. And, like, peripheral scoring, I, we've said it a million times, great. But where was everyone again? I know. Like where it, was at? Why is it one it, night? It, it's it's Suzuki. I mean, look. Actually, I gotta get off Suzuki. Lily. he's got twelve points in fourteen games. I can't ask for much more at this point with a team like this. But like, where is where is our entire second line? Where was Anderson? Where's Dvorak? Where's Druin? Where's, where's Gallagher? Armia? Okay, where's Armia. Armia is having probably the worst start on our team if you look at it like i know he is much less of a per magnitude influence on the team than you know we've been kind of pointing at anderson's to foley's gallagher's dvorak's druins um well druin leave aside whatever but those guys those guys get the majority of the, of the spotlight put on them right but armia has one point in 14 games and it's an assist yeah. Okay, like, we need a lot more from, from Joel Armia. Yeah, like, especially making three and a half million a year. No, I, especially that. And, 
um, I said, no, I mean, yeah, um, like making three and a half mil a year and just the absolute lack of grit on that line. Like a, a lot of that grit on that Corey Perry line last year was actually Armia in the corners. Yeah. You know, Corey Perry was fantastic at cycling the puck down low with Eric Stahl. But he wasn't but as it was, strong as Armia. No, Armia was in the corners absolutely taking on two guys and pulling guy, peeling guys off of Corey Perry and Eric Stahl. And that's what made that line work. But we're not seeing that from, from Armia. I think it might be a good time to shop him around. Yeah, there's we we've discussed this off podcast. It's ineffective on the like penalty we, kill too. Well, that's it. It's like it's he's also being given less and less responsibility as he's being paid more and more. So again, the Habs have yet another contract that is being signed for what you did, not what you're going to do. Yeah. Which is again that that's where I really criticize Mark Bergevin. I per, I think he is a strong GM, but again, he's got a couple of bad habits which normally come from his ego that just really break this team and and one of them the only, Gallagher's contract. well ca- Gallagher's contract you know Petrie's contract to an extent yeah um Army's contract Byron's contract um I'm just they're, they're, who else have we extended recently uh, well I mean Savard's contract even that everyone you know we were happy because we got a guy who could play in the top four but that is based off of what he could do not what he's going or sorry what he did do not what he could do um you know, there, there's so many of these contracts on the team of basically, like, you know, you're about a million and a half over what you should be making, but it's because, you know, loyalty. Yeah. And it's just, it's brutal. And, like... I, I need, I need, sure, I need Armia to, you know, Kulak has four or five times the amount of points as Armia does. Yeah. Like, that's not what I need from Armia. <laughs> no. You know what I mean, like, I need a lot more from Armia. And, like, you know, the last few years, what I really loved about... Yoel Armia was there'd be these nights kind of like um you know the last 13 games of our season where we would be in a real big rut and it would either be Lekkonen or Armia who would for some reason just go off for a two or three game point night and like they would just obviously pull our team out from the bottom of of the ocean Mm -hmm. and like that's what we loved about those guys and we're just not seeing it from Armia this year like you know Lekkonen's had basically a fantastic start to the season like he he's you know, not point total wise, but he's he's definitely playing Arturi Lekin in style. You know, he's getting shuffled around the team as per usual, uh, and it's unfair to him. But um, you know, we just haven't seen the consistency from Army, and I think it's not solely you know the to blame on Army. I think he's kind of seeing a micro environment around himself, kind of like Lekin's experience for the last few years. It's like you know, you look at Army and you're like, who's he playing with tonight? Exactly. Is it Paquette? Is it Perot? Is it Brooks? Is it Belzil? Like, who's he playing with? Well, that's it. Yeah. And you know what, though? To, in defense of Lekkonen, too, yeah, fine. He's got three points in 14 games. But at the same time, he's got 15 hits in 14 games and seven blocks. And the guy gets, I think, about 12 to 13 minutes of ice time a night. So mm-hmm. he's got... That's really, one of the things. Like, where's our blocks? Well, it's, yeah. Like, I, we, we just... We, we don't block shots. Like, if, if David Savard doesn't block shots, he's just a fat slob on the well, ice. Like, what does he do? Like... But no, honestly, I, I really do think that something happened that basically we bought into last year and now everyone kind of just said, well, we, we gave it our best and we have given up, which is why you and I have mentioned this before, like I said uh, earlier, off, off air basically. But there comes a point where you might have to sell off a big chunk of this team and you know people are going to see a lot of names that should go 
you know, they won't be happy, but it's like, you know, you should move on from Toffoli while his value's still high. You should move on from Hoffman while you've boosted his value. Move on from Savard. The experiment didn't work. I have move an apology to this guy's tribute. What? David Savard, my apologies. You're a schvelt man. You're in great shape, and you've been blocking shots. I was looking at the stat under you. Okay, so it's actually Jake Evans who has four blocks. David Savard is 26. Okay. So well. he's been blocking shots. He's <laughs> still not first on our team, not first in defense even, but... You know, 26 and 14 games, I can definitely live with. That's kind of what he was signed on for. But still, I feel like, you know, on a per-game basis, I'd actually want to run the stats on it because last year we blocked basically, we blocked, like, basically everything. Yeah. Like, we blocked so many shots. Um, I'd be interested to see how that's changed from last year. Um, and I'd also be able, I'd also be interested to see how many of those shots then Weber took because I feel like he didn't block much with his ankle injury. Um, so that leads me to speculate, like, what the hell happened? Because our D core is basically the same, except for Edmondson, and, um, yeah, very weird. Yeah, I, I mean, look, there's not much else to say. We'll just wrap up how the game ended. Uh, Habs controlled the puck for about four minutes in overtime, and then, then let base, I believe it was Kempe, skate in a circle yeah. and take one shot. Yeah, and again, good for Sherratt, first goal from Lekin in there. I mean, it's his third goal. Yeah. I mean, like, our, our goal well, leader right I'm now happy, is Hoffman with four. As I think so. I said, I, I'm happy that Sherratt's scoring goals. It's just not goals. what we need. It's just he can't be the only one like, scoring goals. Sherratt, like, our goal leader has four goals, I believe. Um, I'm going to double check. Four or five with Hoffman, and then, you know, Sherrod has three. I mean, that's great for Ben Sherrod, but that's obviously a indicator that we're lacking some kind of offensive production here because that's not the guy that we want the puck yeah, going Hoffman to. Hoffman has four, Anderson oh. has uh, three, Sherrod has three, and Suzuki has three. But either way, honestly, yeah. it's just it's then, so like you frustrating. Said, great, great play from Evans, um, but then over time just... Um, I think we weren't watching the game together that game, right? No, we weren't yeah. watching together. But oh, yeah, I, so we, But we were literally texting each other and saying, I like, I, I think I word for word, I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, I mean, it, you know, now that we do this, well, people know they, we, we have the podcast and they yeah. always text us and stuff. But I, I believe I even sent it to you where I said, um, you know, don't hold your breath with this right yeah, now because like, like, yeah. you can see when they don't have Yeah, it. we have the puck, but we have the puck in the neutral zone. Exactly. Like, We've done three drop passes in the in the Habs logo. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you in a five-minute overtime, like, you, you really have to shoot the puck. You have like, to shoot the puck, and you need to put the players on the ice who can go up and down the ice. I don't know why every single time I see guys out there who are having a good night that night, this dynamic line model is going to give me an aneurysm. I know. It's terrible. It's like... Who started overtime again? Was it? It was Dvorak with. I I can't. Oh even my god! I think with, it was. With, I don't know. Was it Toffoli? It was Dvorak. Was it, you know, it was Dvorak. Oh no, it was Hoffman. It was Hoffman. It was Dvorak Hoffman. Hoffman. That like, is that is a bad line. They, like, but why? This is my line. question. Is like. Dvorak Hoffman. Let's just ignore the players for a second. They don't play together. Yeah, they don't play. Okay, like, look, why? Why and, are you? And if you them are, together? if you are gonna do that, okay, you do Suzuki Hoffman. Yeah. Okay. And like, yeah, that is a no, not a great defensive line. I mean, Suzuki's shown himself to be actually fantastic yeah. defensively, but I'm just saying he's not the guy that I would want hustling but, back. Well, that's the thing, and I, I but think look, you burst. Okay, you it. you throw them out there for thirty seconds, then you put on like, you know, Dvorak. Uh, Anderson, Anderson, or something like that. Those Someone's guys will hustle with? back, and that's when they like you know and, the big and guns more are. More important for me, it's, and I don't even care so much about the hustling back as much because you know like overtime three on three, like there's a lot of breakaways, there's a lot of two on ones. The point yeah. for me, it's like 
play with guys who who know where the other people are on the ice yeah. because if all of a sudden now like that's how all you need is a half second look at what happened in overtime jake evans steps up on uh kempe okay. thinking there's a defenseman behind him he turns around it's a breakaway and yeah. the game's over it's like jake evans should not be the last man back yeah you know it's like he he turned around and I live by the sword die by the sword he's like i brought us here i'm gonna take us but out. exactly <laughs> and oh god it's just so frustrating because like I'm, it's I'm, simple moves in terms of like it's not, it's it's not this chess game. It's like it's 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 barely checkers. It's marbles. Yeah, I know. You don't put guys who have not played together on a in on a surface of ice where they need to communicate yeah. better. It's like, and then you know, like let's just you know moving forward here. I you know I'm I'm really really excited to see Ryan Paling play. Like you know Michael Pozzetta has basically shattered my heart. Um, not really seeing what I what I want to see from him, and he's getting you know more oh, ice time he's such than a I. Dumb goon. You no, know, you see, sometimes. he's getting more ice time than I than I would have cared to like to see him yeah. get. But you know, I'm also I'm not really liking this crashing the net kind of thing. Um, I was telling Jesse, you know, we have a soft spot for that here in Montreal with Carey Price and Kreider and numerous other occasions. Um, that's not the type of grit I want to see. I want to see Gallagher esque grit. I want to see Anderson esque grit. I don't want to see, you know, just. I can't even name a guy in the NHL that does that anymore. Like, just don't do that, okay? Like, you're not going to garner respect from anybody, including your team, doing that. Um, and, and with the return of Carey Price, if he sees you do that, um, you are not going to have a good time in the locker room. No. Um, but, you know, I'm really excited to see Palin come up, and I'm really excited to see Matthias Norlander come up. You know, I think if we look at our defensive prospects, I'm stealing this from Jesse yesterday, but whatever. It's our podcast. <laughs> if we, you know, we look at our defensive prospects coming up, I think... Matthias Norlander is, you know, by and large, the guy to look at coming up. I mean, like, you have interesting guys coming up, like, you know, Gooley, but, you know, he's not going to bring offensive point production. You know, he's going to be a, you know, he's going to have kind of like an offensive touch, but he's going to be a big, big guy that we're going to like on our blue line. But, you know, Norlander's going to have that spark that can really change a game. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we learn from, you know, apparently now Caulfield, we learn from Kakinyemi, we learn from Galchenyuk, we learn from all these guys, Mete, Mete how to develop them, and Romanov. please, for the love of God, do Amen. not ruin Norlander. Like, please, for the love of God. Like, I'm, I'm, if I was Jeff Molson right now, I'd be literally in church saying a prayer. Yeah. That we do not ruin this kid because he has so much potential. The thing is, you don't have to but he's delicate. You just have to do the right thing. He's delicate. Like he's very delicate. He's in that like one eighty five, one ninety five range where like he's not fully developed. He's kind of in like sensitive spot right now, um, physically and emotionally. And his skill isn't, you know, perfectly come to fruition. He's not like flowered. Yeah. And like we have to be very careful not to just like overwater him with minutes. So, like, I do not want to see this kid getting 22, 24 minutes a game right off the bat. And I also don't want to see us just crush his confidence by putting him in situations where he's going to fail, like playing him with, you know, Romanov or something. Like, I can see us doing that. Yeah, I could see us trying to, you know, create the next Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook with two guys that just not were off the board picks, but, you know, Romanov was. <laughs> and... Let's hope Romanov's not Seabrook. No, exactly. Please, and, God. Like, I honestly, I just, with when it comes to the Habs, the, there seems to be this unwillingness to 
Seabrook really practiced your network as your net worth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, but even then, the thing is, people forget, like, Seabrook was very good yeah, when he was good. He, was it's just, he just, he dwindled quicker than Yeah, and his injuries just took him out. That was the big thing, is, is he, he was like Weber, but, you know, on a scale, you know, 10 degrees higher. And the big, but, but I, I do agree that uh, I think Duncan Keith probably made the, like, the bulk of that payday yeah. for him. But the idea is just they, they need to develop their players, you're right. But say, like that that's the funny thing is like we are the ones who should be like saying a prayer because we have no influence. Yeah. The point is these guys, they, they just don't do the right thing. There's, yeah. there's no other way to put it. It's like, you know what? For all the Habs fans that constantly say like, oh, we rushed Kotkin Yemi, blah, blah, blah. You're right, but we also drafted his, like We drafted mm. the wrong guy. Yeah. There's no denying that. He was supposed to go 11 through 16. And guess what? We've a had guy Brady who's eleven, Kachuk, the captain of the Ottawa Senators, yeah. right now. And and Kotkaniemi, if he gets drafted eleventh to sixteenth in that area, he does not play in the NHL for three years, no. minimum. And all of a sudden, now this would be his first year. He'd be coming in. He'd be sheltered to a certain degree, and all of a sudden, he wouldn't have this. You know, you're going to be on Kopitar vibe to him. It's going yeah. to be like, okay, just play your game. We'll see what happens. Yeah, like I, what we don't need to do is bring in Matthias Norlander here and do what we did offensively with centermen last year and the year before that, where we create this massive animosity environment between, you know, Kotkaniemi, between Suzuki, between Dano, even like older guys. I don't want to see Romanov and and Norlander fighting for minutes, um, and I also. Don't want us seeing being like you know what Matthias Norlander he reminds me a lot of Eric Carlson in his prime. Well, that, that's it's like, what I was, stop it. That's Just what I was gonna it. say. Is there's there's this thing too. Comparables are great because you want to know what the player it stops play at style play is, style. But that's stops it. Stops at play style. You, if I go through our recent prospects, the comparables have been so like astronomical. You'd think we had every a superstar because every... Caulfield wasn't even originally compared to... Uh, Debrinkit. Debrinkit. It was originally Patrick Kane. I know. It's like we so, might have Patrick Kane. It's, yeah, so our first line was going to be Patrick Kane. Well, Patrick Prime Kane doesn't time, have a goal in four games exactly. in the NHL or something. Primetime so. uh, Kopitar mixed with Bergeron. Yeah. <laughs> then on top of that, we had Romanov, who was coming in as next Drew Doughty. Yeah, then we had then we had Kotkaniemi, who was apparently Sasha Barkov. Yeah, exactly. And we like, uh, okay... And then we had uh, Patrice Bergeron yeah, and Caden Nick Primo Suzuki. was Carey Price. Yeah, we had Caden, because he wears yeah. number thirty-one. Yeah, and then we had um, you know Gouli coming in as a uh, Colton Pareko. Yeah, honestly, and, then, like, and even know, that, like, it's like just don't like just let these kids like he hasn't played a let game him, yet. Let them be. Who let them they play are. a game first, okay. then make the comparisons. Yeah, I like, understand. Again, when you're going for play style, when you're trying to you know give the populace basically an idea of like who to think of, it's very different. But. You don't always have to give them the top of the top because if I turned around and said like, oh, we drafted, uh, or if I turned around and said, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, it's like, yeah, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. It's like, that makes sense in play style because he's a stockier player who scores a lot of goals. But the idea is like, I don't, you shouldn't say that in the fifth round you drafted Vladimir Tarasenko, Mm -hmm. even though they they got a player who's arguably better than Tarasenko. The idea is like, I'm trying to think of other examples. It's like, um... Every draft now, there's a comparison to, like, all the, there's almost a Wayne Gretzky comparison. I know. Jack Hughes was apparently a mix between uh, Connor McDavid and Patrick Kane. Yeah. Connor Bedard's 16 years old. He's being called the next one. Connor Bedard doesn't even know who Connor Bedard is yet. Exactly. Connor Bedard's 16. I, when I was 16, I was playing World of Warcraft eight hours a day. Exactly. And, like, look at us now. Like, no, I mean, I like, it, it makes no sense. It's like... This kid has no idea who he is because he's not even a, an adult yet. He's not. He's not done developing. Like, 
stop telling him who he is because it puts this pressure on himself to play a certain way. And he'll, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, they have great mentors who kind of talk them out of this mentality. But a lot of guys like Kotkaniemi who didn't have a great support system coming to North America, and he's very open about that. You know, he spent most of his time with Army and Lekkonen. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't have these mentors to, to, you know, shelter them through these, through these you know, rough times with the media. And, you know, when you're, when you're trying to constantly be, you know, Alexander Barkov, um, you know, it, it takes a toll on you when you when you go into a slump. And, like, you know, then you start to resent the team that's developing you because you're like, you know what, I'm supposed to be Barkov. What the hell's going on here? Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it, it breeds resentment, and that's what we see constantly in the Habs organization. And, like... Well, that that's the big thing. Like, that's the key word to touch on is that we we seem to, every time we have a player leave the organization you know they say what they have to say but then there's always a little you know jab and there's always this when Domi got traded it was yeah I'm not going to talk about Claude Julian uh Michael Froelich just accused us of ending his career which while whether I agree or not it's like clearly these people are not leaving with like without a burnt bridge yeah and so Anyway, we're getting off topic, and we have a big review coming up in a few days. Yeah, we're so. also going to have, I, I, you know, I'm kind of throwing this at Jesse now because I really want to do it, but I really want to look at projected lineups for the Olympics. Like, I think that would be yeah. really fun. Um, I think we're going to have, you know, I, I, I think Canada's a pretty safe bet to look at, but, um, you know, I think the U.S. team looks really good, too. I'm yeah, the U.S. has been them. building up a massive pool of You look talent. at their D and goalies, it's like, oh, boy. Yeah, even their forwards. Because yeah. their first line yeah, could I mean, be something like Matthews, Matthews Kane. Kane, and... Uh, uh, There's so many options. I'm forgetting now, but you know, it could be the Kachucks. It could be... Um, yeah, Matthew and Brady will play on the Godreau, same line. It could be Besser. It could be any of these guys. Yeah. So now, like, would I take that over, like, McKinnon, McDavid, Stamkos, or no. something like that? Probably not. <laughs> I'm Even, just saying, like, and like, as much as we hate the Leafs, but the, in terms of speed, Marner on that yeah. line would be very good. Yeah, it's true. McKinnon, yeah. McDavid, Marner would just be... Yeah, it'd be disgusting. I, I just hope they but keep Marchand line... with Crosby and Bergeron. Yeah. I, that is such a classic it's, line. It's, it's crazy to me when you look at Canadian center depth, when, like, you're like, Patrice Bergeron can't play center. I know. It's like, it's like what the hell? I know, he's, like, the greatest two-way like, center He has to play time. the wing. Yeah. Like, he has to play right wing. Basically, like, Marshawn's playing left wing. Yeah. Then, like, you're not putting Crosby on the wing. No. So, it's like Patrice Bergeron's going on the right wing. Yeah. I'm telling you, your third line contains Ryan O'Reilly, Steven Santos, <laughs> John Tavares. You basically take everyone's best player, and that's our bottom six. Yeah. That's the that's the one thing, though, about these things you have to And I'm sure, like we said, we'll touch on it more when we make a podcast for it. Because for the Olympics, we're going to have a, a kind of, like, away from the Habs series a little bit. but So I don't kill um, myself. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you have to be careful with those lines only because there's a certain point where you do need some guys who can play defense, which obviously they can. But, you know, when people get upset that, you know, your fourth line maybe has like a, uh, for like we said, instead of, you know, um, at his peak, Matt Duchesne, people wanted him on that team. But they, they took, I believe, Ryan O'Reilly, who hadn't like fully stepped up yet. And people are upset, but it's like, oh no, Ryan O'Reilly is a phenomenal penalty killer. Yeah. So then you look at and Canada's 56, goals against fifty-seven percent face. Well, there you go, year, exactly. So him going up against Team Japan, yeah, <laughs> he's never losing a face-off. No, right. that's one thing that like, I I do feel bad, and we'll we'll review it when it happens. But the fact that Team China is playing in that division and is just not fair. The worst part about it though is, is that the goal differential matters. Yeah, and, like that's that's, it. that's the rough so part because like we'll literally we might win like fifty nothing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we would get score into every the twenties. Yeah. yeah, I know. I wouldn't be surprised if we score every minute. 
yeah. not to do. Like, think about it. I mean, no, like, I, I know. It's just, I, I don't want to know how many points Connor McDavid's going to get. <laughs> I don't think I could catch McDavid with Corvette. No. Never I have, mind, you have like... To, you have to shoot him. <laughs> yeah, so, you know. Anyway, anyway so... We'll uh, catch you guys next game. What's the next game? Uh, tonight. Tonight? Yeah, but, uh, we, we have uh, Calgary tonight. Oh, Calgary. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Calgary's been a really fun team to watch lately. Yeah, they're and, very like, good. If it's uh, if their D stands on their head against us, anything like last year, and like prevents us from like even touching the ice over the blue line, um, we're gonna have a uh, quite the show tonight. Let's yeah. just say if it's not blacked out. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.